So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. And may he truly be glorified in the message this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been looking now for four weeks. This is our fifth week. Forgiveness from the heart. The first slide that we want to contemplate this morning is with this question. What is sin? Now it's easy for us, being human, like I have often said when I have shared my testimony in the past, I could tell you what a sinner was. I mean, that was my sister. It wasn't necessarily me. But you see, my folks are sitting down here and they can tell you that yes, Mark was a sinner. But the question is, what is sin? The the problem that we have as humans is we want to be able to look out into the world and we can find classic examples of what we think sin actually is. We can look at, for example, we can look at the war that's taken place around the world. Currently, there are some almost 80 different conflicts that are going on in the world. And there have been since... Cain picked up a rock and slew his brother. It's easy for us to say, well, war would be sin. But the question is, what about when we look within our own heart? I I can't tell you how many times down through the years of my ministry I have had people tell me this, I'm not a sinner. Yes, my friend, you are a sinner. We are all sinners because we are all born from Adam. We all have a sin nature within us. So the question then was, well, how many sins does it actually take to make one a sinner? And the answer is not one. The answer is you were born a sinner. This is the reason why, as we were looking at in the class this morning, this is why Jesus Christ had to come into the world, and he came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world to save good, righteous, good, moral, good, fine, upstanding American citizens. You see, biblical Christianity has nothing to do with what your political party is. Uh, out of, out of, despite what you may see on the news, there is a great big wider world out there than America. We cover a great deal of land, but we only account for about 360 million people out of a population of over 8 billion in the world. Does anybody know what the largest country in the world is today as far as population? India. India. It actually just surpassed China. 1.5 billion people. The second country is China, 1.3 billion people. Let me give you an idea of how big that number is. If you were to march 25 people across in a row, if we we had 25 of you and lined up and then heel to toe, just like they do in the military when you're in basic training, 
and you were to march every Chinese person around the world, the numbers or the line would never end because by the time the first people crossed all the way around, there would have been another generation that would have been born and joined the line. That's how big it is. The, the world, the circle around the world, the diameter is 25,000 miles. And that's just China. Are the Chinese people sinners? Oh, very much so. Are the people in India sinners? Oh, yes. I, I don't know if you realize this, but there are actually over 8 million named gods in India alone. 8 million, and every one of them are a false god. So what is sin? Sin basically is this. Anything that is not the holiness of God. Anything that is not the holiness of God. So you mean even that little white lie that I told? Yes. Disrespect to parents? Yes. That lustful look? Yes. All of these things are sin. And we find ourselves now in the story of Onesimus and this man who, who has taken something of great value that belongs to his master Philemon and he has escaped from slavery or so he thinks and he finds himself marching across Asia Minor and he eventually finds himself in Rome and then finds himself, not by coincidence, but he finds himself sitting in a prison cell with the Apostle Paul. I can only imagine when the Onesimus first got there, maybe the fear that was, or the trepidation that he may have had, wondering what life was going to be like in prison. And yet he gets in there and he finds this little man who is very, very knowledgeable about the scriptures. And I can imagine the conversation. Onesimus, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? We're told several times that Paul actually shares the gospel and there are many within Caesar's household who have come to faith. Well, part of what was the term for Caesar's household was actually his guard, the Praetorian guard. So as Paul is sitting there in chains, he is bound by greater chains, not those of Rome. Had God so chosen to do so, he could have knocked those chains off of Paul's hands and had him released. But no, he was there for one purpose, and that was to be a slave to the master, Jesus Christ. And so, of course, Onesimus comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have found in the previous messages, we have, find, we have found that Onesimus goes from being a man of the world, he goes from being this person who is not blessed by God in Psalm 1, and he finds himself becoming a blessed individual. We find him taking a scroll from Philemon or from Paul, and he marches along the long road back. And can you imagine what it must have been like for him, maybe with every dusty footprint that he leaves behind in the tracks going from Rome all the way up, going across through what is now Croatia and Slovenia, and eventually finding himself back in Colossae. And with every footprint wondering, what is Philemon going to do to me? Maybe he prayed, Lord, give me the strength to be able to face my master, to be able to admit to him what I have done. 
Because this would have been a sealed letter as was the custom of that day. And we do not know whether Onesimus actually knew what the contents of the letter were or not. But he certainly did when standing before Philemon. And Philemon is reading this little 25 verses. But we concluded last week and we said that our hearts should readily offer aid to others and to extend forgiveness because of what was extended to us by Jesus Christ. And nothing, and I asked you to pay close attention, I'm going to do it again this morning. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that somebody else can do to you that is an unforgivable offense. But it's not about forgetting. It's about choosing not to remember, choosing not to throw that offense back up in a person's face over and over and over again as as though it has not been forgiven. Do you remember the account of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples? And he says, well, how many times should we forgive? Peter asks them and he says, seven times. You see, rabbinical law only asks for three times. So Peter, being very magnanimous and always talking over everybody else, says, well, Lord, how about we just double it and add one more to it? And Jesus says, no, 70 times 7. And Peter, being the fisherman that he was, probably had a little bit of a struggle with math, and he's figuring it up in his head, 490 times? You mean if, if, if my brother makes me upset, I, I've got to forgive him 490 times, but on the 491st time, I can slug Andrew. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here to his disciples and he says this, every offense is to be treated as though it is the first offense. In other words, keep a short account. Husbands and wives, if you struggle with your marriage and there's issues as all couples struggle at some point in their marriage, keep a short account. Don't throw the things back up in your life that happened five years, ten years, twenty years ago, two weeks ago. And I'll admit that it's not easy to do that. We can only do this and we can only forgive when we are reminded from the scriptures how much we have been forgiven of. When we remember what the Lord has done for us, how can we not offer forgiveness to all who have wronged or offended us? And in failing to forgive, what we are saying is that Christ is good enough to forgive me, but he really can't forgive you. Because your sin is worse than my sin. Some put a price on an offense and they might declare it unforgivable. And yet as we think of Christ's forgiveness, I want you to search your heart and your soul this morning to see if there are any cold, dark parts that long to be free from the chains that bind you just like Onesimus was chained to his master. And maybe this morning that there is something that is in your past that you're chained to just like Onesimus was chained. But I can tell you by the authority of Scripture that there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. You don't have to go and ask anybody else for forgiveness. You don't have to do anything for that. You simply come and cry to God for mercy. Each of us have been offended in some way and we've also offended others in our lives. 
But how do we move into the future this morning? For those who caused an offense, the matter is simple. Seek forgiveness from the Lord and the person offended. You would think that would actually be very simple to do. So I challenge you, next time you husbands, if you're sitting there and your wife says, didn't you hear me? That would be a good time to practice what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and forgiving us of our sins and say, no, sweetheart, I wasn't really paying attention. Would you please forgive me? See how that works? Uh, parents with children. Uh, parents, you want to show Jesus Christ to your children? Be willing to admit to them when you have done something wrong or said something wrong or had an attitude that was wrong. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy because it's not. We find the same thing within churches. It's not easy to forgive one another. It's, it's certainly not easy to ask for forgiveness. For those who have been hurt and offended, though, the ultimate solution is a biblical one. But arriving there is no easier than it is for the person who has to ask for forgiveness. You see, the world doesn't like meekness and humility and, and true forgiveness from the heart because it sees Christ and his followers as weak. But humility is not an option for a true believer unless it is a false one. You see, every pore and fiber of the world's existence, from that comes the cry to exalt ourselves above others, to seek our own good and, and not the good of our neighbors. Think of me first. The world is full of it. Our education system, the media, movies, films, they're all. Think about you first. Don't worry about anybody else. And yet... Since time began, the world has long dealt with pride. One philosopher, David Hume, in the 18th century began to express the concept of self-esteem. And this was later developed or carried into the full-blown realm of psychotherapy by the, realm, like, by the likes of Maslow. For those of you who have studied psychology in college, you will know these names. Humanistic psychology then began to dominate the landscape by, the, by individuals such as B.F. Skinner and Sigmund Freud. Maybe that's a name that you would be familiar with in the early to mid-1900s. And by the late 20th century, the evil one had begun to change his tactics and how he would reach the church. In a slow, measured manner, the idea of self-esteem was introduced not just into the thinking of Western civilization, but into the church itself. Humanistic thinking has coursed through the veins of the government, education system, social structure. Pastors now use pop psychology and counseling and, and even in their, their messages because they don't want to offend anybody. It may run somebody off and it may have a, a difference, a drastic difference in the offerings that are taken up on a Sunday. Now you can read and hear from evangelical churches, pastors, and, and women leaders that we must learn not just to forgive, but we must learn to forgive ourselves. And then we must learn, as I mentioned and alluded to last week, we must learn also to forgive God according to them. But these are on biblical principles. In fact, they're heresy. 
Listen to what one well-known writer, if you were to go down to the local Christian bookstore, you would find this author actually in that bookstore. Wrote this in the front of a study Bible. One day I finally found the strength to open my Bible and I discovered myself in the story of Job. Maybe I hadn't lost my sheep or my children or my house, but I had felt the weight of the attacks of the enemy from every side. I knew like Job, I had to have the space to be able to get angry and to get angry at God. But then I also had to learn to forgive God for what he did to me and to remember that he is in control. And the problem is compounded when instead of dealing with the hard issues of pride, people or pastors are expected to make people feel better about themselves by preaching nice, soft, fluffy messages or to dumb down biblical doctrine. Because the cross and Jesus Christ are offensive. But how can we do this? How can we do this when Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing? We cannot be honest. I cannot be honest as a pastor with those who are listening. When when the burden on the heart grows weary from the pain of knowing that friends and family and sometimes even people within the congregation are not even believers. How can we not be honest when even in our worship we are designed for a Christ-filled eternity, the wonder of what heaven will be like we can't even begin to understand. But if a person doesn't place their faith in Christ, if they do not repent and confess their sins, they will never fully know the wonderful grace of God that grants forgiveness to all who seek it. If Paul had used a 21st century approach to forgiveness, this letter would never have existed. Philemon would have been permitted to treat those lower in status than himself in a way that boosted his own pride. Onesimus would not have been expected to have to return to face his punishment or to seek restoration from his master. In true 21st century fashion, he would have just simply gone and found a better master in his estimation. Had Paul preached in a nice, fluffy way, the end result would have been a church in Colossae that was so far from God that it would have looked like the churches pastored today by the likes of Joel Osteen or Rick Warren or Joyce Meyer. Praise the Lord, though, that the Holy Spirit was at the core of Paul's being. He didn't write on his own accord. Praise the Lord that the Savior was eminent, preeminent within his life, not just a prominent feature. You see, to Paul, Jesus Christ wasn't something that was just tacked on on a Sunday. He lived his life day in, day out to the glory of God. Like David, wetting his tears or his pillow with tears, I'm sure there are many times, as Paul said, I weep constantly for you. So we find that you have your notes this morning. We find... The burden of forgiveness. There are four aspects to this. Number one, 
The burden of forgiveness requires us to accept another brother and to accept them as to the Lord. You know, there, there are many, we, we look at Ephesians chapter 5, for example, and there are a lot of women, some of the Christian ladies who might get upset because we talk about submission. The issue is not submission to the husband. The issue is submission to Jesus Christ. And husbands, you and I are not off the hook. Because if we are following the word of God, we also will be in submission to Jesus Christ. We will be in submission to one another within the church. And if we are striving to live a life that is pleasing to Christ, we will then give forth that testimony to the world that we have been with Jesus. So a way of saying this in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And in a way, we could say it this way. Philemon, treat Onesimus in the same manner that you would treat me if I were there. And to go further, do not treat me any differently than you choose to treat Onesimus. I'll be honest, this is difficult. You see, the word here, to consider or to regard, implies to own or or to possess intellectual or spiritual faculties, desires, emotions, faults, defects, and affections. Paul is seeking to persuade the, the, the master, Philemon, with the reality that he, Paul, is just like Philemon. In other words, I'm no better than you are. I have my struggles. I have pain in my heart. I have love and affection. As he says in the book of Romans, I sin just like you do. How would you like it if you committed a sin or an offense against somebody and they turned around and would never speak to you again for the rest of your life based on one offense? Or two offenses or ten offenses. How many offenses does it take? I'm glad the Lord doesn't do that with us. Paul's speaking to Philemon. He is is telling him, you're a partner, you're a comrade, you're a companion in the gospel. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner, he is my fellow worker for your benefit. The New Testament was written for the local New Testament church. This is why the church is so important to God. And when we mistreat the church, when we mistreat God's people, what we are saying is my sin is more important to me, it is more valuable to me than what God has to say about His work, His church. He continues in 2 Corinthians 8 and he says, As for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. You want to be a messenger? You want to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ to other people? This is what Paul is saying here. As a messenger of the church, you receive the glory of Christ on your life. The phrase to receive here at the end part of this verse, verse 17, means to receive a person, to receive a person into your home, to accept them as family. Now again, we need to set the stage here. Onesimus is the slave. Onesimus has been gone for months. He has squandered his living like the prodigal son has and 
Now he's eating with the pigs and he comes back and he's standing in front of Philemon. Maybe he's, by this time as he is hearing the letter read aloud, maybe he has fallen on his face in abject horror, wondering what is about to transpire. And he hears this phrase and Philemon and Onesimus would have both known immediately what Paul was asking for. Paul is asking Philemon to do the unthinkable. Paul is asking Philemon to accept a former thief and a slave and make him a member of the family. Paul is saying, Philemon, you, you, you can't look at Onesimus the same way anymore. He's a believer. He's a brother in Christ. But he's more than that. We have had people tell us, Yellowstone is just different. People treat me like I'm family. People are very welcoming. Yes, we've had people come. We've had people go. But being family means that you love together, you struggle together, you don't quit on your family. Amen. Don't have double standards when you go to extend forgiveness for others. We can't forgive some while harboring grudges, bitterness, or animosity towards others. How much have you been forgiven of? <clears throat> Paul continues in verse 18 putting aside offenses as to the Lord, if he has wronged you at all. If he owes you anything. Paul gives an incredible offer here to Philemon, and the word for wronged is to act wickedly against another. This means both by blows and or by fraud, which is a debt of money. What is an offense? An offense is anything, again, that separates us or keeps another brother or sister from walking in holy communion with God and we create an offense for them. That has nothing to do with personal pet peeves or foibles or preferences. I've said this before. You may not like, and I mess with Brother Mike all the time. Brother Mike doesn't like that I'm short, fat, and I've got no hair on my head. That is not a biblical offense. A biblical offense would be if I do something that detracts from his focus being on Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says, Philemon, if he has wronged you in any way, or if he owes you anything, then I will pay it to you. Paul is reminding Philemon of the Christian character trait of showing mercy and extending forgiveness. When was the last time you were offended at something with another brother or sister and somebody else was willing to stand up and say, wait a minute, put that on my account. I will take care of that. No, we get upset. We pick up our toys and we want to go home. We want to go find another church and take our problems there. Shame on us. 
And I'm not speaking piously because I've been there, folks. I have done it in my life. I have distracted my wife and my kids from not looking to Jesus Christ at times. But I am thankful for forgiveness. It is important to note that the Bible doesn't allow for continued fellowship with those who are not willing to seek forgiveness for their offenses. If, if I do something to offend Brother Mike and I'm not willing to forgive him or he's not willing to come and, and seek confession or, seek or, or offer confession of sin and say, I was wrong before God, we don't have the same communion anymore. Had Onesimus not been willing to ask forgiveness, Paul would never have asked Philemon to break the bread of fellowship with him. And the reason sometimes I believe that we do this is because we have a a poor understanding of what the Bible says in regards to the church. The Bible is clear about what is to happen when a person comes under, di- under discipline and how we are to treat them. We are to treat them, Matthew 18, as if they are an unbeliever. Not that they are an unbeliever, but as if they were one. It doesn't mean that they're not saved, but the Bible is clear that if there is no repentance, then there is no life in you. Too many people have a misunderstanding. They think that church discipline is something that the pastor does on his own. Discipline is not about me. It is not about a single pastor. It is not about any single person within the church. It is about and involves the entire church when this happens. If friendship is more important than God's word, then we stand in opposition to God and his commands. And as Paul says here, in other words, Philemon, if you can forgive him. But there's a parenthetical pause there. If you can't let the offense go away without restitution, please allow me to pay for it. Do you not think that Paul knew how much Onesimus had stolen? I'm sure he knew down to the last penny. Listen to the poignancy in Paul's words as he speaks using a word that Philemon would have known well. This is the doctrine of what we call imputation. One Bible dictionary describes imputation like this. The sin of Adam is imputed to all. It is reckoned as theirs and all are guilty. The righteousness of Christ is then imputed to them that believe in Christ and so attributed to them to be considered as their own. And our sins are imputed to Christ. That is, he assumed our lawful place. He undertook this to answer the demands of justice for our sins. Here's what Paul is telling Philemon. Whatever Onesimus has done, I want you to charge it to me as if I had done it. You see, this isn't This isn't just about paying it back. This is asking Philemon to look at the Apostle Paul, the beloved Apostle Paul, as if he was the one that had actually stolen from Philemon. Wow. 
I want to show you a couple of pictures to be able to hopefully be able to paint this picture for you clearly. Do you remember in the Old Testament we find Abraham? Abraham believed in the Lord. We find a number of people in Hebrews chapter 11, for example, they believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. This is imputation. It's a big theological word and this is actually what it means. Imputation is God's declaration that our sin, my sin, your sin, was placed on Christ at the cross of Calvary. But it's more than that. Christ's righteousness has been placed on your account by grace through faith. Maybe this will help clear it up just a little bit. Adam's sin to every human that has ever lived or whoever will live. Every person in the human race is a sinner. Jesus Christ then accepts that sin and that guilt when he dies on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You become a brand new creation when he takes that upon himself. He became sin so that we might be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Righteousness of Christ then is imputed to the believers. In other words, when Jesus Christ, when God the Father sees you, he doesn't see you as a nasty sinner anymore. He sees you as his son. He sees you as his child. He sees you and blesses you with all of the blessings that are found in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1. That's imputation. If there was no imputation, you and I would have to suffer for all of eternity for every sin we have ever committed. But Jesus Christ says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We find the aorist tense when Jesus is speaking in the last words that he says, to tell us die, it is finished. That means, my friend, that there is nothing that you could do. There is nothing a priest or a rabbi or a pastor or anybody could ever do to be able to help you inherit eternal life. It was all done. It was completed. The Greek word there is once and for all times. It will never, ever have to be done again. The Old Testament, if you've ever been around... The, the, the killing or the slaughter of animals or, or maybe you're a hunter and you go out and you take, a, you take the, the life of an animal and you know that, that smell of blood that just gets in your nostrils. Some of you can probably smell it right now. Imagine what the Old Testament temple must look like. The high priest comes in and he's got this great big basin of blood. And he walks around the mercy seat and he throws this blood and Year after year that dries and it cakes on the mercy seat. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't spill his blood. It wasn't an accident. It was deliberate. Mm -hmm. This is what Paul is telling Philemon. I want you to act like Onesimus has never wronged you ever. And the next time I get out of prison... Philemon, and I walk to your house and I show up there in Colossae, I want you to look at me and I want you to say, he's a slave. (laughs) 
want you to be able to introduce me to your household and say, he stole from me. That man is worthless. That man is useless to me. And now I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. Because before Jesus Christ saves you, you are worthless. You are useless to him. We are useless to one another apart from Jesus Christ. And so when God the Father looks down now, he doesn't see you that way. He sees you as forgiven. Thirdly, in the couple of minutes we have left, forgiving as Christ forgave us. Philemon is reminded that Paul is willing to pay for what was lost just as Christ did for us. As lost hellbound sinners, we were separated from God until Christ came to die. And it was on the cross that Jesus bore our burden. It was on the cross that he atoned for the wrath of the Father. It's from the cross that our Savior said, put that on my account. It's from the cross that the Lord Jesus Christ looks down and he says, all that sin that Marcus Calaris ever did or ever will do, charge it to me. As if I was the one that had committed that sin. As if I was the one that had committed that lie. Can you imagine the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God? Think about all the things. Don't think about them very long. But the things that you have done in your life. And Jesus Christ says, I take that sin upon me as if I had done it. And then he says, forgiven. 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 How could we ever do justice to the message of the gospel if we're to fail to share this glorious truth by not forgiving others? All who come to the Father shall in no wise be cast out. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because all that was on my account, everything that was on your account was transferred to the Lamb of God. He became our substitute. This message should shock you. It should bring you to, to, to the point where you're almost willing to raise your hands and say, Lord, why would you save me? Why would you forgive me? Why would you take that on your account? And finally, Paul extends love and asks Philemon to extend love to a wrong brother. Paul reiterates his previous statement here. Look again at verse 19. I write this with my own hand. This isn't something from Onesimus. I'm doing this. I'm writing this. I will repay it. Another parenthetical pause. And he says, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. 
Paul reiterates his previous statement. If Philemon was keeping an open tab for Paul, the tab just got bigger. But the imprisoned apostle gives a guarantee and he says, I will repay you. I just want you to accept your servant as a brother who is forgiven. Forgiven by me, forgiven by Jesus Christ, and I hope, Philemon, forgiven by you. Remember, Philemon, though, that you owe me far more than I could ever owe you. Even by adding to that account, even by adding all of the debt and all of the sin and all of the things that Onesimus has done, Philemon, you still owe me more than I could ever have to repay you or that I would owe to you. Why? Because I gave you the gospel. And this is true for us as well. Sharing the gospel with somebody is paying an undeserving debt forward. Somebody had to share with us, and so we share with others. What a joy to tell others of what Christ has done for us. How can any debt or any offense exceed such a gift? In conclusion, forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an option. It's a command for all true believers who have been forgiven. To whom much is given, much is required. We have been forgiven a debt that could never be repaid. Your debt is so large, it is like the example that the Lord Jesus Christ gave where he said the one man was forgiven 10,000 talents. It was an amount that he could never ever hope to earn making a penny a day for the rest of his life. And then he goes and he's unwilling to forgive his brother for a hundred days worth of work. When you're stacking up yourself against others, stop. And consider how you stack up against Jesus Christ. Is yours a life of holiness? Is yours a life of perfection? Mine's not. I still sin. I still cause offense. I told you when we first came, for those who were here, I told you when I first came, I'm going to let you down. There are going to be times if you put me on a pedestal that I, as your pastor, I am going to let you down. As a brother in Christ, I'm going to let you down. That's why your eyes can't be focused on me. They have to be focused on the cross. This is one of the Reformation solas, solus Christus, only Christ. Only Christ. Only Christ. In love and to atone for the wrath of God on our behalf, Jesus Christ did come. He did die. He did rise again. And for all who come to Him by grace through faith alone, He forgives from the heart. That's forgiveness from the heart. And if you and I are not willing to do that, we are saying that the death of Jesus Christ was not enough for anybody else's sins but mine. I pray as we have considered these words this morning that the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, has convicted you of your own sin as He has mine. If there are others who are in your life that 
you have not forgiven. It could be something from years ago. I don't know. Only the Lord does. But if God could forgive you of your sin, we have a right and a responsibility to forgive others of their sin. If we harbor a grudge or bitterness or anger or unforgiveness, we're saying that the death of Christ is not effective enough to be able to keep them out of hell, even though that's what I want for me. Again, forgiveness is not an option. Lord, you alone know the hearts and the minds of each person here. And I can only speak for myself. I know what you have forgiven me of and what you continue to forgive me of. Each person knows in their heart whether they are a true believer or not, whether they have ever come to the point where they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone and sought forgiveness and repented of their sins and if they have then they stand at the foot of the cross completely clean completely robed in the garments of Jesus Christ made whiter than snow though our sins make us black though they be scarlet as Isaiah says we shall be whiter than snow Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. From all of eternity past, you set your eternal love upon us, upon all who would believe. Hanging on the cross, you were made sin for me. You were made sin for all who would come before you, who would repent of their sins. And yet you still took that burden upon yourself. You still bore the wrath of the Father you still said that you loved the world. You still prayed for those who would sin. In John 17, in the great high priestly prayer, you still prayed for those who would believe. Help us, Father, to be so wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, to be so wrapped up in the, in the wonder of how much you have forgiven us that we will forgive others. Don't allow us to harbor things within our heart towards one another, between husband and wife, between parents or children, between friends, between brothers and sisters in Christ, that would not reflect forgiveness from the heart. Thank you for granting us strength for today. May you be glorified in every aspect of every life here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And have a couple of our men come for the offering this morning. Please know there is no requirement for giving, but it is part of our worship here, whether you choose to put the money in the boxes or in the bags. And uh, we pray that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ would bless this to the furtherance of the ministry here and around the world. Amen. Thank you, Father, again, that we can give back to you a portion of what you have given us. Not to be able to gain some kind of merit, to be able to gain any kind of grace, but simply because it's just a small token as a reminder of how much we have been forgiven and how much you have given us. The great giver of life, 
not just physical life, but the giver of spiritual life as well. We pray, Lord, that the word shared this morning glorified you and that people would understand the words that have been shared. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.